Thanks, Mary. Kia ora whanau. So great to uh, be with you today. What I want to do today is continue this on with the series that we began last week, uh, the practice of listening to scripture. Whakarongo kite kupu, listen to uh, the word. And what I want to do today is build on where we got to uh, last week. And so if you've just joined uh, us this morning, I do um, uh, go back onto the podcast and have a bit of a listen because what I want to do today uh, builds on where we got to uh, last week. Uh, last week we were talking about um, what, are, what is the purpose of Scripture? You know, when you read the Bible, you get all sorts of really interesting um, facts and uh, insights on who God is, what does it mean to be a human being, insights on world history. But as you read the Bible, what you discover is that the purpose of the Bible, um, according to the Bible, is it to be, it's to be an instrument that God uses to form us to become a certain kind of human being. Uh, in Psalm 1, which uh, Mary just read to us before, this uh, really depicts uh, the vision of human flourishing that the Bible um, is wanting to form in us. It's a life that, as opposed to you know, the idea of being um, self-contained or self-fulfilled, uh, the, the, human, the life of human flourishing that is, uh, is, is envisaged in the Bible is a life that's connected to uh, the very life of God and receives its life and power from that source. This is what we see, of course, in the person of Jesus. And so uh, the purpose of the Bible is not only to form us into be um, human beings that reflect the person of Jesus, but in fact, the purpose of the Bible is also to reflect into us or that we might experience his kind of life, a kind of human life um, that is connected to the eternal life of God. And this week, I want to uh, build on that or continue uh, by asking ourselves the question of how does the Bible um, as a grand narrative contribute to this overall project of forming us to be human beings that not only reflect the person of Jesus, but also experience his kind of life. Now, Matt Maslin um, was supposed to be doing this talk today, but unfortunately, uh, he's uh, caught COVID, and so Matt, um, uh, Zara, Piper, we're with you, and we're praying for you. Um, so I'm going to pick up Matt's talk today, and I want to start by um, really outlining um, a basic observation, which is that human beings are story-generating creatures. You know, ask anyone at a party, um, at the pub, down in the cafe, hey, how did you guys meet? Or how did you, um, what inspired you to get this business going? Or, you know, what inspired you to pick up the guitar or learn skiing? And the reply that you get is not usually like a verbal spreadsheet of dates, times, and actions taken. What you usually get is um, the reply of a story. And it appears that human beings are actually hardwired uh, for stories um, or to tell stories and story being a big part of our identity and how we communicate uh, meaning. There's lots of great neuroscience um, around on this, but it appears that what, that, what our hippocampus does, the area that uh, stores memory, is that it um, organizes um, it, or aggregates uh, facts and experiences uh, into stories for the 
purpose of um, creating meaning. And so we use stories in a very powerful way uh, to shape our identity and make sense of the world that we live in. I mean, for take this for example, say the words, um, uh, it's raining. I mean, on one level, of course, this is just a, you know, a fact or a, of a human experience. However, what these words and this event means really depends on the context and the story that is attached to that announcement or that experience. I mean, for example, um, the announcement, it's raining, that means something completely different to a couple that's looking to go on a, a first date in Cornwall Park. Um, it's COVID, so they're going to be socially distanced. And the, the announcement of it's raining, that means something completely different to them as it would to an Australian farmer in the middle of a two-year drought where he's about to lose um, everything. You know, the facts are the same, but the meaning of the words, it's raining, means something completely different because of the story they are a part of. In one story, it's raining means, uh, in one story, it's raining, uh, the, that announcement leads to joy. In another, the announcement, it's raining, uh, leads to disappointment and the possibility of no second date. And you know, the facts are the same. However, um, you know, what those facts mean is dependent upon the story they are a part of. A philosopher, uh, Alistair McIntyre, in his book, After Virtue, uh, says this. Humanity is essentially a storytelling animal. That means I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part of. And there is a famous um, story in the Bible that illustrates this absolutely brilliantly. And it's a story found in, the, uh, in Luke 24. And it's a story about uh, two disciples as they make their way from Jerusalem down to uh, Emmaus. They're trying to figure out what the crucifixion of Jesus means. It happened three days ago. It was completely not what they expected. And on the road, we enter or become, um, we get an inside uh, listen to the conversation they're having as they try to make sense of that event. And I'm going to start in verse 13, where it says, now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus said, oh sorry, Jesus asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. 
Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Here, these uh, two disciples are trying to make sense of the experience of seeing Jesus being crucified by the occupying force of Rome. They were hoping um, that Jesus would, in fact, be um, come with military power and overthrow the occupying force of Rome. However, like many of the um, would-be messiahs before Jesus, he did not um, overcome Rome. In fact, Rome executed him. The cultural story of the day was that um, that Israel was God's land and that, um, that God wanted that land purified from um, the pagans that occupied it and therefore military force was required to exit them from the country and get rid of them. As it says here uh, in the scriptures um, or in the story, the disciples were hoping that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. The cultural narrative of the time would that God would come and military force um, kick Rome out. And of course, when that didn't happen, their world completely collapsed. And I know this feeling myself. And if you've ever experienced something like this, um, the feeling is incredibly awful. It's a sense where you're kind of standing still and the world that you imagine just kind of begins to kind of fall around you or crumble at your feet. It just seems to completely unravel. And it's a feeling of disorientation. Um, It's a feeling of um, disappointment, bewilderment and um, disappointment. And, um, you know, while they didn't recognize him, Jesus um, joins these two disciples. And while listening to them um, recount this this story, recount the the way that they have seen it, Jesus reaches the point of his um, active listening capacity. And he can take it no longer. And just with a kind of, with a smile uh, on his face and a slight wink in his eye, he says this to them. He says, How foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus agrees with the disciples on the basic facts of the situation. Jesus agrees. There was a crucifixion that took place and that the tomb where Jesus was supposed to be laying was empty. But what Jesus really does here is quite um, something incredible and if not unexpected. What Jesus does is he refrates the events that they recounted by by placing them within the structure of a larger overarching narrative of scripture. 
which is the story, yes, about Israel, but it's the story about how through Israel, the world, the world that actually also included the Romans, would actually be blessed by Israel. And they would receive Israel's bless, I mean, the blessing of God through Israel, by Israel overcoming and facing the power of sin and death by going through it. The hopes and dreams of this story, of this representative family of God, eventually gets focused down onto the one representative, Israel's king, whom, as I mentioned last week, is the, is the playwright, the architect of this grand narrative. God's self stepping into the story of creation, onto the stage of creation, I should say, in the person of Jesus, and taking that story and that project forward by launching a new creation into the midst of the old. What's so interesting here in this little story in Luke's gospel is that Jesus does not give the disciples an alternative set of true facts about the world. What Jesus does is give them an alternative story to help them understand the world truly. And as followers of Jesus, um, this is the story that we're invited to step into. This is the story of Jesus. And in its most simplistic form, the 66 books that make up the narrative of Scripture, you know, they form a narrative by answering the, these basic questions. The Bible forms a narrative by answering the questions of who are we? Where are we? What's gone wrong? And what's the solution? You know, we are God's good creatures created in the image of God. We live in God's good and beautiful world, but it's a broken world. And it's a broken world, not least because as God's image bearing creatures, we've chosen to reflect our wisdom into the world and not God's wisdom into the world. And that's unleashed all kinds of death and chaos into the world. The solution has been that through Israel and through, in particular, the person of Jesus, God has overcome the power of sin and death, not by through military might, but by absorbing the power of sin and death into his own person and has launched a new creation and calls us to be a part of its unfolding by imaging that new creation reality through the renewal of our own lives. The purpose, you see, of the Bible is not just to inform us, give us new facts about God and the world and what does it mean to be a human being, but the purpose of the Bible is to transform us. And the narrative of Scripture is part of that transforming process in the way that it shapes our imaginations to understand the world and therefore how to live in alignment with that and with what Jesus is doing within it. So, okay, so we're thinking about the narrative of Scripture and how that shapes our lives. But also I want to come into land with these two points. You know, part of the practice of listening to Scripture is actually about locating, when it comes to reading the Bible, what we need to do to listen to Scripture well is to locate the section of the Bible that you're reading within the larger narrative 
that the Bible is telling. I mean, of course, you would, we do this all the time. We would never just um, uh, think we understand a film or um, a play by just by watching um, a series of memes or like short YouTube clips about the film. We, we can use those small clips, those memes, those small insights only to the degree to which we understand how they fit within uh, the larger narrative. And it's the same with the Bible. So when we pick up a small passage of the Bible, say we're um, starting at the start, we're picking up a passage of Genesis. You know, what you're reading here is this part is part of the creation story, which God is wanting to fulfill uh, in due time through the person of Jesus. When you, when you pick up part of the Bible and you realize, oh my gosh, this is part of the Israel story. What we're to do here is to observe the hundred and, you know, hundreds of different ways that through faithfulness and unfaithfulness, God is working out uh, his plan. And what we need to do is observe this with real humility as we glean the wisdom from what we observe. One of the questions could be we could ask ourselves as we're picking up the Bible is like, oh gosh, I wonder if this part of the Bible is part of the early church story. And we, are, we can observe how Paul is instructing the early church how to live rightly or how to live in the light of the resurrection and how that replaces some of the old stories around structure and status about being slave or free, male or female. Jew or Gentile with a new story that reorganizes those facts in a way that brings healing and brings life and creates the renewed family of God. So when we listen to part of listening to scripture is understanding how the small parts of the Bible fit within the much larger parts of the Bible. Secondly, not only is this about locating scripture or sections of the Bible within the larger narrative of the scripture, we need to also, to, as we listen to scripture well, we need to locate ourselves actively and consciously and daily into um, the narrative of scriptures by the narrative of scripture by living into it ourselves. You know, we've spoken about this a number of times before, but we often underestimate how porous our lives really are and how porous we are as creatures. We quickly absorb the uh, cultural narratives um, of our day. We somehow, even, even though we, uh, you know, we believe the Bible, we want to be followers of Jesus, we often find ourselves inadvertently um, absorbing many of the implicit social narratives that get circulated around through you know, our news feeds and our social media. And just at this point, I have to say, you know, I've never been um, more overloaded with uh, news than I have in the last uh, two years, and particularly in the last two months. I mean, I love news. I've got lots of news apps. I'm a real news junkie. But I just have to say, over the last two years, and particularly in these last two months, with all the um, information that's been pouring in over Omicron and uh, the pandemic, and particularly in this situation in uh, the Ukraine, you know, I, I mean, no one loves to get news just trickled into you, but to, this fire hose experience isn't great either. And what's not great about it is um, also the um, level of social anxiety that uh, Western culture seems to currently be experiencing um, because of it. 
And it's not just because of that, really. You know, there's a, a situation of real cultural and social anxiety because um, really what we're witnessing is not just a pandemic and we're not just um, uh, witnessing a war in uh, Europe. What we're witnessing is the breakdown of the secular narrative that wants to say that through the eradication of religion, that rationalism, science and technology will deliver to the world um, inevitable progress. And what, um, and like the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, who thought that this, you know, who thought that inevitable progress was on the way, that, that the secular narrative would deliver this, um, this new world where things are going to get better and better every day. What our world is, is experiences, experiencing is the real, the real cultural anxiety with that dream not coming true. And in fact, that dream seems to be breaking down more and more all the time. And it's super disorientating and it's super confusing. And many people just feel lost. And you know what the world really needs and what our culture needs now more than ever is not a self-righteous uh, church and it's not a self-serving church and it's not a self-insulating church and it's not a church that just reflects back to the culture, uh, the anxiety that it's experiencing. What our culture needs today and what we see um, is what we see Jesus doing with uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It needs a church that is lovingly and patiently uh, willing to listen and understand uh, the disorientation and the experience of loss. But it's also a church that's willing to live and tell an alternative story. An alternative story that says, you know what, this world is not a great place, but God has got it and resurrection is on the way. And we ultimately serve the world. We serve our friends and we serve our families, not only by helping to make them to make sense of um, the world and how we kind of can live within it, but also in living out this narrative, we also point the way to real human flourishing, a way that is found only in the person of Jesus. See, in the person of Jesus, God has got real flesh in the game of human history. God has welded human history to his history. And this is great news. And this is great news that our culture really needs to hear today. And, you know, in this way, the narrative of the Bible, the story of Jesus, is actually not just Jesus's story. And it's not just our story. In fact, the resurrection story is in fact the true story of the world. Because in Jesus' resurrection, we have the guarantee that all things will one day be made new in the same way that the resurrected Jesus was made new. And our job, our role, is to be formed by that story and be people who are prepared to live into that alternative story and be people who are prepared to tell that alternative story. I want to come into land by um, reading to you a quote by the famous missionary uh, theologian, Leslie Newbigin. And I've mentioned this a number of times, but it's just so good. He says this, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs 
is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe and live by it. Allow me to lead you in prayer. Uh, Living God, we want to thank you today for the person of Jesus and the way that his life, his death and his resurrection has completely transformed the way that we understand the world. We understand your world as a good place, a good place held by you, a place that you are not willing to give up on, but in fact, a place that you have uh, personally guaranteed will one day be completely transformed into the glory of a new creation. Help us, Heavenly Father, today to live into that story. Help us as we read the Bible to hear the narrative of this story coming true, not only in the person of Jesus, but that it would be formed in our lives too. Heavenly Father, as we worship you now, change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.